We're reading this evening from the Old Testament, big change from the previous evenings. We're moving back into the book of Genesis, chapter 19, commencing to read in Genesis chapter 19 and at verse 15, for the sake of time. Genesis chapter 19 and the 15th verse, the record is well known to those who are acquainted with Bible uh, history. Uh, It's the record of God's dealings uh, with a family that were living in the city of Sodom, uh, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's not an unpreached chapter, but the Lord always takes old truth and makes it live anew, and I pray that tonight old truth will live like it was never heard before, that it will be new. You know, that's how the Lord works in lives. Some years ago, we were in an evangelistic campaign in Banbridge with Brother Edgerton at the time, way back years and years ago, and there was a family attending the meetings. Uh, Their daughter was with them, a nice family, we know them very well. Uh, She was a young lady uh, in college in Belfast at the time, and uh, one night uh, at midnight, after leaving the mission and going home, The Lord really worked in her heart, and she came into her parents' bedroom at midnight about an 18, 19-year-old girl training to be a teacher, and she asked her parents to point her to the Lord Jesus Christ, and she got wonderfully saved that night about midnight. The next night, she was back in the mission, and as she listened, at the end of the meeting, she said to her mother, she said, Mom... Did I sit in meetings like that before tonight? Did I sit in meetings like that before tonight? It's amazing how people can sit in meetings and feel unmoved. But then when God saves you, when God changes your life, then you see things in a different light. You feel the presence of God in a way that you had never felt it before. And your life is transformed and your perception of things is transformed. So it is our prayer that even though you may be here this evening and may be a stranger to this type of ministry and these types of services, that the Holy Spirit will open your understanding, open your eyes, open your heart, open your emotions, open your responses to Jesus, not to me, but to Him. And then when you come back another night after trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, you will begin to feel, did I sit in meetings like that? Was I a sinner, unconverted, sitting in meetings where the presence of God was so real, and yet I never really sensed it? Well, I trust that that will be so for someone tonight in the service. So we're going to read together now from Genesis chapter 19, and commencing to read at verse 15. And when the morning arose... Then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape 
to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And in verse 24, we read these words. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. What a significant passage of Scripture and some tremendous emphases there that make up even for a whole series of messages, not just one brief message like I have for you tonight from this chapter. Shall we unite our hearts for a moment of prayer again, please? Loving Father, thank you for sparing us to be able to come together tonight into the sanctuary to leave the things of time and the days of this, the hours of this day behind us to come for one wonderful, precious valuable hour in the presence of God our Maker and the Lord Jesus Christ our Redeemer. And I pray now, Lord Jesus, touch my mind and my heart. Visit me, Lord, and pour into me, Lord, Thyself, Thy Word, and Thy message. And for the glory of the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray that someone tonight will come right out of the city of destruction, as it were, and right into the place of refuge. Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus, our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen and amen. amen. If there were any words tonight that I could use to emphasize my message and to give my message a very simple but a very, very important title. It would be the danger of delay. And there are two words that we read in the passage this evening. He lingered. He lingered. And I want to share with you for a little while and bring out of the pages of history and out from that remote period in time right into this church right into this congregation, right into this meeting right now, as if it were you, and God is speaking to you. I speak to you as a congregation. He speaks to you as individuals. And somewhere in the service this evening, as I prayed about this service and prepared for this service over the weekend and then today, coming to the service this evening and thinking about it and not knowing who would be here, there must be someone in the gathering tonight who is a well-acquainted person with the things of God. And yet it could be said of you, you linger, you delay. And there is a danger in delay. There definitely is. We all know that if we were crossing the road, a busy road, and we delayed, we know that we would be in danger. 
if we were to be on the side of a boat and we were not prepared for it to lurch, we would know that we were in danger. We are very well acquainted whenever we are in kind of uh, tangible danger and the danger of delay. But it seems to be that we are not so well tuned in when it comes to the issue of delaying in the matter of our soul's salvation. The devil blinds your eyes. Our senses are dulled. Our emotions are deadened. To not feel keenly how near we are to eternity. To not feel keenly how dangerous it is to delay trusting Jesus Christ. Well, this passage here helps to emphasize something of what I really want to say to you in these moments. This whole concept of a man lingering at a moment of danger, at a time when destruction is about to come on the cities, time was running out, the clock was ticking, and it wasn't going to be long until the prosperous cities of the plain in the region, in the southern area of where the Dead Sea now is in the land of Israel. You know the brimstone that has been found at the southern end of the Dead Sea is about 95-96% pure brimstone. There is no brimstone anywhere else in the world that has been found to be more pure than 45%. And it indicates that the brimstone that came on Sodom and Gomorrah came from a terrestrial world, from a supernatural source. We know what that source is because the Bible says God sent it. And so there's proof not only archaeologically but historically and also because the Lord Jesus flagged up this situation in the New Testament when he was speaking. He actually knew that there was such a family as the family of Lot. Of course, we know that because he was related to Abraham, the patriarch. But we also know that he had a wife and he had two daughters, at least that number in the family, because we read about them in the passage. And so here we see a little family living in an environment that is now marked for destruction. The timeline was short because there were but 12 hours. The beginning of the new day was just about to come whenever these messengers came. They had been to Abraham's tent right up in the hillsides in the plains up above the Dead Sea in the hills of Mamre. They had left Abraham's tent. And they had come after telling the man of God what was going to happen. And they had come to the home of Lot. They had come with a message. It's amazing how God sends messengers to hearts and homes and people. And you know, over the years of being in evangelism, and that's what I like about evangelism. Years ago, I used to do many missions, leave home on a Sunday afternoon and head off to a mission and maybe come home midweek, but sometimes stay all week away and visit during the day and call people's homes and houses. And invariably, God worked in hearts. I remember visiting in a little village called McFinn outside Balamoney. And we went one day into a home and there was a man sitting with a pair of Wellington boots on him and an old jacket on him and a jersey. And he was a working man. 
But you know, before I left that home, he said to me, you know, Mr. Stewart, he said, I want to get right with God. And he knelt right down there at the chair and had the joy of pointing him to the Lord Jesus. He's now a much older man. But it's amazing how God brought me to his home. He was a prepared heart. It may be in the providence of the Lord that God has brought our paths to cross each other's today because he wants to bring you to himself. Years ago, Yvonne and I were in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a very big city. There are many, many churches in Atlanta, Georgia. But I was preaching in one particular church on a Lord's Day morning. It was quite a congregation of people. Unknown to me, there was a young expectant mother sitting in the congregation. She was married to a U.S. um, serviceman who was serving with the forces in the Philippines. He had married a Filipino girl, and she came home to her parents-in-law to have her baby in the United States. She had come to church that morning with her parents-in-law, her husband's father and mother. And you know, as I preached that morning, the Holy Spirit began to work in her heart. And when the invitation was given, she was one of those who responded to the call and the invitation to come to Jesus Christ. And she trusted the Savior and was wonderfully saved. And you know, I thought, how amazing that is. Here am I, coming from Northern Ireland. I go to the United States of America, and that's a big place. And here's a young woman who's expecting their first baby. And she comes all the way from the Philippines. And God brings those paths to cross. And at that crossroads and that junction in her life and in the ministry of my life, He brought our paths across each other. What for? To bring her to the cross. And it was her first time to be in the church. And she didn't linger. She made haste, just like Zacchaeus, to come to Jesus. Just like that other man that I told you about, outside Balamani, who on that moment, when I first visited the home, came to Jesus Christ. But this man, he lingered. He delayed. I like what it says, and I'll part away maybe a little bit from my notes tonight just to keep on the track that God has put in my mind and heart. It tells us that the Lord laid hold not only upon Lot, but also upon the hand of his two daughters and upon the hand of his wife. What about his sons-in-law? Or actually, as they were, the girls were betrothed to these young men in Sodom. And when Lot went to the house to tell them that they also needed to escape, it said he seemed as one that mocked. I thought I better check that word and see is that what it really means in our modern kind of parlance. And it says it seemed to them as he was a joke, as he was joking. And sometimes people are like that with us. They said, you must be joking. (laughs) Your message is a joke. And a lot of people think we are a lot of jokers. But you know, the next day decided who was the joker. The next day decided who was the fool. The next day decided who was the unbeliever and who was on the wrong side. I wonder tonight, does it seem to you like that you might be in a place where my message is kind of a joke? It's a kind of a 
funny thing to be doing. It's a kind of a, a humorous thing to be doing, speaking there and standing up there. And yes, it is. It is to our natural perceptions. Because the Bible says it is to the unbeliever foolishness. Foolishness. But isn't it wonderful, ladies and gentlemen, that through the Bible also says, through the foolishness of preaching, through the foolishness of preaching, I am a fool. <laughs> I am. But I'm a fool for Jesus. And Paul said he was a fool too. And he was a fool for Jesus. But aren't we so glad we wouldn't have a New Testament very much if it wouldn't been that Paul was a fool for Jesus? <laughs> we wouldn't have all those wonderful epistles that run right through the New Testament. Would you be a fool for Jesus? Would you trust him tonight and step out from where you are and say, you know, Eric, I always thought this was a kind of a funny thing. I always thought that this was a kind of just something that people put on for certain occasions and it's not really important and it doesn't really have any high stakes. And I'm not really, I have never really been very interested in it. But tonight, you're here, not by accident, but by divine choice. Because God has given us in this chapter an Old Testament record of a family on whom he laid his hand to get hold of them, to bring them out from destruction. I think tonight there's a man, there's a woman, or there are some young people, a family, and the Lord is putting his hand on you to draw you from danger to safety, to draw you from coming destruction to eternal protection. He says, I have come to draw you to myself. And as the Lord tugged at the heartstrings of Lot and then saw that he was still delaying, he went a step further and took hold of his hand. It would be lovely if going to you and taking hold of your hand and bringing you down the aisle almost as if it were by strong persuasion to bring you to the prayer room where you could be prayed for and pointed to Jesus, that that would be a very nice thing to do and a very important thing to do. But we will never do that. We will never force you. We will never barge you into the kingdom. But we invite you. We invite you. But whilst I would never put my hand on your hand to pull you to Jesus Christ, there is one tonight, and he has his hand on you. And he's drawing you tonight. My hand is an ordinary hand. His hand is an extraordinary hand. It's like the old lady who had trusted the Lord Jesus she had grown up in a Roman Catholic background and she had come to the end of life. She had trusted the Lord Jesus as her personal Savior sometime earlier and had come to know the Lord as a wonderful and personal Savior. When the priest heard that she was coming to the end of life, he came to pronounce the last rites on her and to her and told her that he could forgive her sins 
And she said, show me your hands, sir. Show me your hands. Oh, no, she said. You can't forgive my sins. She said, the priest who forgave my sins has nail prints in his hands. And my Savior has nail prints hands nail-printed hands. And the priest with the nail-printed hands, says the Bible, is the one who can forgive sins. And you will never have them to stand against you again. And thank God tonight that my message is not about a church or denominations. It's about a man. His name is Jesus. He is the great high priest, the Bible says. He is the priest who has made one offering for sin forever. And because of that one offering for sin forever, he tonight is able to draw you, bring you to himself, so that you need never perish, that you need never be lost. As the story unfolds, We read in the latter part of the chapter, and I continue to read that, because not all finished well for that family. In the providence of God, there were three who by God's gracious mercy, because it says that the Lord being merciful unto him, they were brought out and they escaped from the destruction that was going to fall in the city. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, there are none of us would be here this night if it had not been for the mercy of God. Did you hear that? We would not be here were it not for the mercy of God. I should be in God's hell only for the fact that God was merciful to me. Even when I rejected him, even when I went my own way, even when I would not yield to him, nor trust him as my Savior, that instead of dealing with me as I deserved, he was merciful to me and spared my life until I came to the cross and trusted him. You are here tonight because God is being merciful to you. It's lovely when someone recognizes that. I was thinking as we were driving here this evening when the Lord Jesus was passing by, a man cried out from the side of the road, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. As he was traveling along, he told the story about a Pharisee and a publican who had gathered in the house of prayer. And the publican said, I'm better than others. I Thank God I do this and that and the other man. He wouldn't even lift up his head. He put his head down and he smote his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There were men who recognized God's mercifulness to them in the days of Jesus. And thank God, in the lifeboat, there are those who have recognized God's mercifulness to them this year. Would it be that somebody tonight would come to the realization, I am here because God has mercifully preserved me, but I must not presume upon his mercy. It may not always last. 
if I do not yield before the final hour of my life or the final opportunity and call of God's Spirit. I say again, as the morning unfolded, there were three who went out from the city, Lot and his two daughters. But as their fire and brimstone began to rain down in the cities, and you know we've been down there at the Dead Sea, and I've envisaged what it must have been like when the whole plain erupted as the smoke of a furnace, and Abram looked out and he saw the whole place in a consuming flame. There was one person of the four who lingered and lingered too long. Only once in the New Testament does the Lord Jesus make reference to that person. And he does it in three words. Remember Lot's wife. And anybody who was listening to him would have known right away what he was saying. Because here is what it says. But Lot's wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Jesus took that truth from Genesis 19 and spoke it and preached it in his message concerning his return. Remember Lot's wife. What about her? She looked back. Her heart was in Sodom. Her devotion and affections were there. And rather than escape for her life, she chose to look back. And she was lost and perished in the destruction of the cities. Some people have looked back when they should have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have lost the opportunity. They have missed it. But thank God there are others who even when life was almost at the end, fled to the place of refuge and sought the Savior. Yvonne and I were in South Carolina some years ago, preaching in a lovely church there that we went to periodically. There was a couple who came to the meetings. Doyle and Annie Carpenter were their names. And Annie loved Jesus. She was a follower of the Savior. But Doyle, he didn't go to church. He hadn't any time for church. He was just in his early 60s. And uh, he chewed and spat tobacco. And uh, then we came along and, uh, you know, uh, he began to come to the meetings. And we kind of made a connection. The Irish preacher and the, this man from South Carolina. He had some fish pools on his farm and we were invited around, the pastor and myself, to do a little fishing, you know. And we did some fishing and caught some fish. And then one evening Doyle said, you know, he said, I'd like to take you and Miss Yvonne to a nice fish restaurant. So we set off with our friend Doyle and Annie to St. Patrick, a little town, very well named for people like us. And we went to Patrick, not St. Patrick, Patrick. And we went there and we're in a lovely fish restaurant with a really great 
it's a good meal, you know, of all kinds of nice fish, really well done and everything. And then after we finished our meal, I said, you know, Doyle, I'm a fisherman too. Oh, he said, preacher, is that right? I said, yes. I fish for fish with legs like you. Hmm. And he says, I, I understand, preacher. I said, Doyle, when the time comes that you trust Jesus Christ, would you let us know? Yeah, I sure will. Now you know where I get some of my Americans from, Americanisms from. But I don't really try to hold on to them because I'm from here. But anyway, they keep coming up every so often, slip out just. About three months later, we got a phone call. Reverend Shaw and I, my brother-in-law, we were doing a tent mission just near Malusk. And it was a Monday evening. But the Sunday before that, the pastor phoned. And he said, you know, Eric, Brother Eric, I've got good news for you. He said, Doyle has got saved. He came to Jesus Christ on Thursday. And he's going to be phoning you. Well, I think maybe John phoned us maybe on the Saturday. He said he's going to phone you and let you know. So sure enough, Sunday after dinner time, the phone rang. And here was my friend, the fish with two legs, on the phone. And he said, preacher, I've got saved. I've trusted Jesus Christ. I've come to the Lord. And we had a great time, passed the phone around the table. There were no mobile phones back. A few years ago, it was a landline phone in our house there in Port Rush. And he told us he had come to the Savior. And we were all very happy and praised the Lord. Well, I said to you that Mr. Shaw and I were doing a mission at Malusk. And so we headed off, Yvonne and I, Monday evening down to the mission. And came back home that night. And here was a message on the phone, a voicemail, voice message, and said, Pastor Eric, I've got to tell you, Doyle Carpenter died this morning at 10 o'clock. He said he had a brain aneurysm, and in a few minutes, he was gone. That was very close, wasn't it? That was near nicking, as we would say. To come to the Savior on the Thursday and go to be with the Savior on the Monday morning and just have the opportunity on the Sunday to tell us that he had trusted Jesus Christ. God laid his hand on him and brought him out at 62 years of age, you would kind of say he lingered. He lingered. But thank God he didn't linger too long. He got in on the last train out of the station. What about you tonight? Are you going to be like Lot's wife? Instead of making good your escape, you're going to stay in your sin and in the danger zone? 
Or are you going to let the angels take your hand tonight and bring you outside the city and bring you out to the place of safety? And not only that, they brought him out and they said to him, Escape to the mountain. There's a mountain over there. Escape to the mountain, lest I be consumed. You know, dear people, tonight, I've got a message for you. It's escape to the mountain. You say, what area? What mountain, Eric? Mount Calvary. Mount Calvary. That's the place of refuge. There is a hill. There is an old rugged cross. We see it in our mind's eye. I stood there years and years ago as a younger man, 1976 for the first time, in Israel. There's a little hill outside the city wall where our dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. And there, you know, the old rugged cross. Oh, what a wonderful privilege of coming to the place where by faith I had trusted Jesus so many years before. You don't need to go to Israel to be saved. You don't need to go to a real Calvary ground or hill or tomb and see an empty tomb and know that Jesus is alive. You can have it right here at the church tonight. And God's putting his hand upon your life this evening. Somebody is feeling the tug. I know that in earlier nights that has been so. These have been special meetings God's presence has been wonderfully real. And I have felt his presence. And I have felt the blessing of prayer and the power of believing people. And I want you to keep it up because the battle is now on, friends. And the struggle is on. And some will find it hard to get through unless we prevail on their behalf. And so tonight, please, my dear men and women, pray through for me, pray through for us, and pray through for people. You know why I say that? Because at the end of our Bible reading, we read this, and it's so suggestive. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the overthrow. What did Abraham do? He pleaded that God would be merciful and spare the cities, even if there was only ten righteous in the cities. God went beyond even what Abraham prayed. God went beyond the ten and right down to three. Do you know what? I'm here in Jesus' name tonight for one. For one, for you, for you. I'm here tonight for that one lady, that one man, that one boy, that one girl. And if it was possible to put a hand into your hand and bring you to Jesus, but he touches you. He puts his hand on your hand. And he says, come. Come with me. Come out from the danger 
of dying without Jesus. Come out from the condemnation that is over your head and on your heart. Come out from the bondage and the uncleanness of your life and come to a Savior who can make you whole. Oh, my dear people, someone prayed, and it just comes to my mind in seeking the Lord, and after seeking Him, said, I feel so clean on the inside. He wants to make you feel, uh, He wants to make you feel clean on the inside. And He wants to take the past of your life and blot it out. He wants to take the sins that hold you and bind you and the addictions perhaps that hold you tonight. And He wants to break the chains and set you free. He wants to take your fears and he wants to blot them out and give you his peace and his assurance. He wants to take your unforgiven life and give you in its place forgiveness so full and utterly free. What an offer. What a glorious possibility. He lingered. They lingered. She lingered. She lingered too long. They got out. Would you be amongst those who tonight will escape to Mount Calvary where Jesus bled and died? Right now. There's a hand, an unseen hand, and it's drawing you. It's drawing you to Jesus. It's drawing you to the cross. It's drawing you to salvation and safety in the Savior. Wonder do you sense that? Wonder tonight if you've been invited by a friend You don't really know how much they have prayed for you, just like Abraham prayed for Lot. And they long to see you saved. This would be a good night for you and your friend who has brought you to come together. And if tonight you're a lady, there's a lady here who can pray with you and point you to Jesus, or even Pastor Bernie. Oh, that tonight you might find Jesus, the rescuer of sinners. Shall we pray together? Dear Lord Jesus, tonight, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for an exhibition of mercy in saving Lot and his two daughters out from the city that was consumed in the fires of judgment. Thank you, Lord, for the mercies of God that have rescued men and women that are sitting here this night. And as they look back in their lives, they remember the day that the hand of God came on their hearts and drew them to the Savior. And we pray that as they have been drawn, 
that another will be drawn tonight. For it is no secret what God can do, what He's done for others. Oh, yes, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He welcomes you. It is no secret what God can do. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that tonight there will be another one who will step right out, come right down, come into the room where they can be prayed with and pointed to Jesus and go home knowing that they are no longer under condemnation, no longer in danger, but they have hidden themselves in the place of refuge, Mount Calvary. Yes, Lord, by faith, they are hiding in Jesus and his wonderful salvation. Hear us, Lord, we pray, and glorify thy name now as we close off the service with the closing hymn. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.